what a privilege and an honor to worship at your throne, to be called into your presence as your own. The excellent one is here. His presence, his power. The elders and the prayer team, the staff, we've been praying. We pray every week over the needs of the church. And right now it's cold and flu season. Some people are suffering in our body. And also we have people going through some unusual things right now. One in particular, Jennifer Aiken in her body. But I was comforted to know that as we sang and as we worship, he is the excellent one. He is present with his people. He's with us corporately, but he's also with us personally. And not only is he with us, but he brings everything with him when he comes. And that is all power, all ability. What a mighty God we serve. Last week after I preached uh, hallelujah anyhow, I, I just preached last week. Give him, him praise, not based on how you feel, but based on who he is. Giving him a sacrifice of praise. Hallelujah. Uh, went through a little test after church. Went out with my family and we ate and had a good time, and spent time together. And then I decided I'm going to be a gentleman and go out and get the car for my wife and give her curbside service. And as I'm walking to my car, I, I notice there's a tow truck behind my car. And the first thing I say is they're going to have to move so I can get out. <laughs> but as I got closer, Chauncey, I saw that the tow truck was there because there was another car resting on the hood of my car. And I, that's what I said when I saw it. <laughs> And uh, like, Lord, what's going on here? Well, the person driving the car, um, they hit the accelerator when they meant to hit the brake and they went through the wall and, and that part of the parking lot was raised. So the person ended up landing on top of my car. And uh, the, the workers, they said, uh, we've been doing this for a long time, but we've never seen anything like this before. I don't know if they thought that was going to encourage me or what. I said, I've never seen anything like it before either. And, uh, and right there, the Lord was like, you still got a hallelujah for me? I said, of course I still got a hallelujah for you. That's nothing but a car. That can be and will be replaced, man. I thank you, Lord, because it could have been worse. Sometimes you got to praise him for what didn't happen. My wife and I could have been in the car. It could have been raining or snowing, and I'm standing out there talking to these people for 30 minutes. I have insurance, and I thank God for that. And they got on the phone with me and started taking care of it. The lady who, hit, who did that, she had insurance. And, and so I'm like, Lord, it's just an inconvenience. And you still have my hallelujah. I praise you. I thank you. Aubrey, you got that picture of me uh, smiling a little bit? I just want to look at myself. You got that one? Did you get that one? 
just so the church know I'm trying to live what I preach. <laughs> you, ain't, you ain't get that one? Oh, my bad. All right. But I was standing there like, that's how I was looking. Part of it I was in shock, and the other part I was giving God praise. But I thank him, I thank him. And, uh, and today, uh, after church, we have another family get-together at 3 o'clock. My wife is having a uh, signing of her book in downtown Franklin today. Now listen, I don't know uh, what you got going on at 3, but if you could stop by the coffee house on 144 2nd Avenue North in Franklin, it would be a blessing. You can get your book signed. Uh, you can buy books, but just come on by. We're going to be there for an hour today celebrating this book release of Brown Baby Jesus. Amen. Amen. And speaking of celebrating, uh, Chauncey and Joyce Davis today are celebrating 40 years of marriage. Would y'all stand up? Would y'all stand up, please? Would you stand up? Amen. 40 years. Uh, 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 by the power, keep standing. By the power vested in me as your pastor, I now say, brother, would you kiss your wife uh, today? Brother went in for seconds. Brother went in for seconds. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, next Sunday, um, we're going to have the right hand of fellowship to close out this year. We have about four families that are going to uh, become members of the church. Now, today, um, I'm going to extend an invitation at the end of service for you to join us next week as one of the members of the church. If you don't have a church home and you believe that this is your church and you are a believer in Jesus and you want to become a member of this church, we don't do the class anymore where you have to sit hours on a Saturday or take multiple classes. Um, we're, gonna, we're doing it the old school way where we're opening up the doors of the church and based on your profession of faith in Jesus. Um, so next week, right hand of fellowship. So let's close out the year with more family members. Uh, for those of you who may be coming back to Strong Tower, come on, let's make it public. And uh, man, let, let, let's say this is my church home. Amen. All right. I believe that's all I need to say. Um, let me pray and let's get into the word. Today I'm going to preach. I'm in a series on Christmas hymns. So we're praising him through the hymns. So today we're going to cover, Oh, come, all ye faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the family of faith. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've given us, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, male or female, rich or poor, black or white, Republican or Democrat, Baptist or Lutheran. We've been given one spirit to drink. And boy, does he taste good. You tell us in the word to taste and see that you're good. Blessed is the man or the woman who trusts in you. Thank you for what we're experiencing today because of your love, because of your grace, because of your mercy, all because of Jesus. So, Lord, we celebrate him as Sidney reminded us on the announcement to not grow stale during the season, to not take for granted 
what you gave and how your son was sacrificed for us. We celebrate him by faith anew, afresh, this moment right here, right now. And now, Lord, as we look into the pages of Scripture, look into our hearts that we may truly uh, not only remember what happened, but, Lord, worship you and thank you for what happened as your son was born. We bless you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. The Gospel of Luke. Chapter 2. Oh, come, all ye faithful. As we're going to see today, the birth story of our Lord occurs in the city of Bethlehem, which is in Judea, in the south of Israel. Bethlehem is known as the city of David. So when we read 1 Samuel chapter 15 and 1 Samuel chapter 16, the prophet Samuel was told to go to Bethlehem because there in Bethlehem he would find the next king of Israel. And in Bethlehem, there was a man named Jesse the Bethlehemite, and he had several sons, and one of them was David. And David, in a sense would put the city of Bethlehem on the map. But not only that, it was prophesied by the prophet Micah in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that out of Bethlehem would come the ruler of the nations. In other words, the Messiah, the king of kings, would come from out of this small little town called Bethlehem. So God is very specific with how he does things. Because this place, Bethlehem, the city of David, it literally means house of bread, house of bread. Why is it called the house of bread? Because Bethlehem was known for its grain fields. And so there was so much grain there that it was called Bethlehem, house of bread, or the place where the, 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 the barley would be harvested in order to make bread and all of the grains that would be there. And so this place, Bethlehem, the city of David, the house of bread, would be the place that God would decree and declare that the bread of life would be born. So the bread of life was born in the house of bread. Now, in order for this prophecy in Micah to be fulfilled, God would have to do something to move Mary and Joseph who were at that time of this story, they're in the north, in Galilee, in a city called Nazareth. And so in order for the Christ to be born in Bethlehem, God ordered up a census in order to get them to move from the north down south so that Jesus could be born in Bethlehem. Now, in order to take and make this trip, which we'll read about here momentarily, it was at least a 90-mile trek from the north down to the south, from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem. And here you have Joseph also with his betrothed wife, and she is pregnant with the Christ child as a result of the Holy Spirit overshadowing her miraculously. 
So they have to go 90 miles. And if they went on average 10 miles per day walking or her riding on a mule or a donkey, uh, that's at least nine to 10 days to make this trip by foot. And so they head on in to Bethlehem. So pick up with me in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that a a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now in verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. So let's talk about these shepherds momentarily. So the shepherds are out in the fields, and they're out in the fields, according to the scripture, at night. Now what we need to know about shepherds is that from a societal place, they are on the bottom rung of society. So the shepherds were on the bottom rung, probably just a couple of notches up from tax collector and even prostitute. Shepherds were on the bottom rung of society, which is why many times the youngest member of the family was given the responsibility of taking care of sheep. And that is where we learn of David when we meet him in 1 Samuel. He is out taking care of the sheep. When Samuel is in Jesse's living room trying to anoint one of his sons to be the next king of Israel. And so he's looking at the boys and he's thinking that God's anointed is in front of him. And the spirit of God is like, no, 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 no. Samuel says, Jesse, do you have any more kids? He's like, yeah, it's the youngest one. He's out there with the sheep. Uh, And so Samuel said, "Well, well, go get him. And as soon as David comes in, the Lord says, he is my anointed, anoint him. So he's out there with the sheep. And there was even much tension, even after being anointed to be the next king, his own family, i.e. his brothers, had issues with him uh, uh, ascending into this place of promotion where they put put him down. And and when Goliath was out there uh, threatening the children of Israel for 40 days and David came out, his older brother said to him, who's taking care of those few sheep of yours? In other words, you're the youngest and you were given that job that nobody else wants. You're the youngest. And not only that, women were also shepherds because, again, this is a position that's on the lower rung of society. And in those days, the male hierarchical system was many times unjust and unfair towards women. And when we read the book of Genesis, the Bible lets us know that Rachel was a shepherdess. You see, ministering sheep, leading sheep, feeding sheep was a a blue-collar job that involved having to deal with lions, 
bears, wolves, and thieves. And so if you work this job, you were going to come into some conflict with animals or with people. And because you work with sheep and you slept outside, you stank. You not only smelled like sheep, you smelled like outside. Your parents ever say that to you? Boy, you smell like the outside. You, well, you told me to go outside and get away from the television. Then I come back in, you say, I smell like the outside. Whatever that smells like. It's a smell when you smell it, you know what it is. And so when you've been outside and you're around sheep who all they do is eat and, uh, how do I say this? Poop. Uh, thank you for my help over here. Uh, <laughs> and you are walking behind sheep. Many times the shepherd would lead from the front, they lead from the side, and they would talk so the sheep would hear the voice, but they would also sometimes lead from the rear, meaning that they would be stepping in feces over and over again. Again, it's a job no one wanted. And based on the fact that people would steal sheep and shepherds would steal other shepherd sheep, there was a rabbinic law that said never buy directly from a shepherd because chances are you're buying stolen property. And so that was the testimony amongst sheep. They were social outcasts, social outcasts. And when God called the prophet Amos, Amos was a sheep uh, person, a shepherd. And God called him from shepherding sheep to be a prophet to his people. And the people put him down because he was a shepherd. But here's the thing, though. What we know about Bethlehem, because of the great harvest, the barley harvest and the wheat and all of that in this small town with this fertile soil, after the harvest, after the reapers came to, to get the harvest, shepherds were able to come and bring their flocks to walk through the harvested fields so that the sheep could pick up what was left behind. So the sheep, they're rummaging, they're eating what's left behind, but they're also leaving something behind by the way of manure in order to create fertilizer to help make the soil richer for the next season of uh, planting seed and seeing the harvest come in. So it was a system that worked together that they would pick it up and the sheep would come and eat the rest, but also leave a deposit there so that the fields could grow. And so when we see the shepherds out in the fields, they're living in the fields, these people of, uh, uh, who are the social outcasts, but God includes them in this heavenly divine story. Why? Because God loves social outcasts. God loves people who are the last and the least, who are looked down upon. Now, here's the deal. All of us, in the eyes of God, are social misfits and social outcasts. But the religious folk had problems seeing themselves like that, which is why they weren't recipients of the grace of God, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So no matter if you're a shepherd or if you are some king somewhere, in the presence of God, you are to humble yourself in order to receive his mercy and his grace. And these shepherds are going to be a picture of us, for us, in terms and of us, of what we can be when we humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord and even baby Jesus.
So in Luke chapter 2, verse 9, it says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. So it's nighttime, and here comes an angel, and there's this glow, uh, this shine, this glory that's coming from the angel, emanating from and through the angel upon these lowly shepherds. And the Bible says, and they were greatly afraid. Don't read too quick over that because a lot of us think, had I been there, I wouldn't have been afraid. I'd have been ready. Yeah, Lord, talk to me, speak. No, you wouldn't. You'd have been afraid thinking you're about to die. You don't know what's about to happen. Is this the end of the age? Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm scared. And so verse 10 says, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, not some, but to all people. Now, if your good news is only for some people, you don't have no good news. If your good news is only for people who believe like you, vote like you, look like you, you don't have good news. That's bad news if you ask me. They said, we got some good news, man. It's of great joy. It's for all people. Verse 11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, for the Jewish people in that time, they, they were constantly looking for and anticipating the coming of the Messiah, the Deliverer. Many of them thought the Deliverer was coming primarily to deliver them from the oppression of Rome. Not many of them understood that he would be a suffering servant who would come first as a lamb to deliver us from the oppression brought about by sin in us and around us. And so, but they're looking for this Messiah. So when the angels say this, for many Jews in that time, this was not uh, 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 something that took them by surprise. They were anticipating this moment. And they said in verse 12, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. So the king is here. The Messiah is here. The Savior is here, and, and you will find him. Here, here's a sign. You will find this babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Now, wrapping children in swaddling cloths, that was kind of common, especially if you were of meager means like Mary and Joseph. And so wrapping the baby in swaddling cloths, you know, in order to keep the baby from scratching himself, you know, that, that, that was kind of common. But the sign was that this baby is lying in a manger. All right, now, wait a minute. Hold on now. We, we got to go back a little bit into the culture and into the times. What was a manger? A manger was a place where animals fed from. It was a trough. It was a place where they would put their mouths in in order to eat the food that the owners would put there for them. So in other words, they were putting baby Jesus, King Jesus, into a feed trough. Uh, so, so if we go back a little bit, I didn't want to spend too much time on this, but when they come to town, we think that they're closed, that, that the Motel 6 closes to them, that there's no room in the inn. 
Well, that's not really what happens because the Greek word for inn is not the word for hotel that's used here in Luke chapter 2. You see that word a little bit later when uh, uh, the Samaritan, the good Samaritan puts the brother that got beat up in an inn in a hotel. That's a different word speaking of a place that houses folk. But the inn here is a Greek word kataluma, which means basically a room or a guest room. And you see that when Jesus says, uh, we're going to eat the Passover in the kataluma, in this upper room, this guest room on a house. So what's the point? When Joseph is coming into town with Mary, who's pregnant, uh, to be registered because he's from that area, his family is from that area. When he comes to one of his relatives, there's no room in the house. The guest room is already taken by other family members who's coming into town in order to be registered. So what they ended up giving him, no doubt, was a basement area or an attachment to the house like a stable. What's the point? In the basement, many of the Jewish people in that time on cold nights would bring their animals, their livestock, into the house and put them in a basement because many of the houses were built over top of caves. They would put them in there, not only keep them warm, but to protect them from thieves. So when Mary and Joseph come to town, there's no room for them in the guest room. So they either went down into the basement where the animals were, or they went to an attachment on the house where the animals were kept like a shed or what we would maybe call a garage. Either way, they're not in the house. They're kind of put off. And then he's coming into town with this woman who says she got pregnant by the Holy Ghost. So the family ain't too excited about having her get prime real estate inside the house. You can have a basement. You can have a shed out there, which is why the animals, the feed troughs were there. But here's the point. The Most High came down solo. Born in poverty and obscurity and ignominy in order to rescue people who can identify with brokenness. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. And so there's this sign. Three times in Luke 2, manger occurs. Manger. We cannot miss the manger. But look at verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. I'm about to start preaching right now because I'm getting to the meat of this message here. And it says in verse 15, they said, let us now go to Bethlehem. Let us now go to Bethlehem. Well, John Francis Wade was born in 1711 in London, England. And as a Roman Catholic... He had to flee to France in order to avoid persecution from Protestants. And as a refugee in France, he supported himself, listen to this, by teaching music. So he was gifted in music, and he was able to write musical charts with such excellence, and, and, and it was above anything and everything other folks could do. 
that he made a name for himself teaching music and writing music. So in 1743, at the age of 32, John Francis Wade produced a copy of a Latin Christmas carol, beginning with the phrase, and I'll try to say it in Latin, Adeste Fidelis Lecia Triumphantis. Ah, well, he writes this hymn. Goes on, thinks nothing of it. Well, Wade died in 1786 at the age of 75. And as time passed, English Catholics began returning to Britain, and they took Wade's Christmas song with them. So he dies as a refugee in France. He writes this song. Well, people take it with them as they go back to England. And as more time passed, an Anglican minister named Reverend Frederick Oakley came across Wade's Latin Christmas carol and translated it into English so that his church could sing it. And the first line of Oakley's translation of Adeste Fidelis, Lacia Triumphantes, was, ye faithful, approach ye. So he translated the Latin into the English as, ye faithful, approach ye. Well, the word didn't catch on. Uh, it, it just did not catch on. And so as more time passed, uh, and as his Latin began to improve, his understanding of Latin, and he also converted out of being an Anglican to also being a Catholic, just like John Francis Wade. He then retranslated on his translation, and he came up with these words in the English, O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Ah, there it is. That, that flows a little bit better than that other one right there. And so he translated the rest of the song, which many of us know by heart. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come let us adore him, O come let us adore him, O come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Y'all know if I could sing, I'd sing it right now, but I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to stay in my lane. That preach was too loud over here. Keep preaching. I want to help someone with their prejudice against Catholics. God used two Catholics living a hundred years apart in two different countries to bid us come and adore him. Praise the Lord. So this song is saying, like the shepherds, we got to get to Bethlehem. Something great is in Bethlehem. God would not allow the birth of his son to go without being celebrated. And God chose lowly shepherds to be the first ones to come and see the king of all kings in human flesh, lying in a manger as a babe. God chose shepherds, not kings. He chose shepherds, not preachers. He chose shepherds, not priests. Why did he do that again? Because he gives grace to the outcasts, to the humble, to the lowly. Well, look with me in verse 16. After they said, 
We've got to go. Let us go. Let us go to bed. We got to go. Verse 16, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it, who's those? Joseph's family. All those who heard it marveled, and, and, and also Mary's family. She's also uh, of the lineage of David. They marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So the shepherds said, we, let us to Bethlehem. You see, they experienced something in Bethlehem that they couldn't experience anywhere else. They experienced something that night in Bethlehem that they didn't even experience in the fields with the angels. Uh oh, stick with me. What they experienced in the fields was good. But what they experienced in Bethlehem was better. What they experienced in the fields at Bethlehem, they got to see angels. But in Bethlehem, when they looked in that manger, they saw the Son of God who created the angels. I'm just here to let y'all know that Bethlehem, where the Lord is hanging out in the manger as a baby, is greater than the experience that they had in the hills and in the fields with their sheep. They got to see prophecy fulfilled because the scripture says in Bethlehem the king will be born. They saw it fulfilled. But had they not got up and left, they would not have seen scripture fulfilled. Had they remained comfortable in the field, having seen some angels, oh, that was good. But that wasn't the best experience. They had to say, let us go to Bethlehem. I'm going somewhere. I'm, com I'm coming. I'm going somewhere. Stick with me now. They got to not only see scripture fulfilled, but they got to see prophecy fulfilled for what the angel said. The angel said, you're going to find the Christ child in a manger in Bethlehem. So, so they got to see scripture and prophecy fulfilled. And once they got to town, and saw it, they began to testify about what they experienced on the fields. Let me tell y'all, there was an angel that came to us, one, one of them first. And then after that angel told us about the prophecy that we're beholding right now, then a choir of angels came and started giving God glory. Man, they started testifying. People are listening to them tell it. Not only in Bethlehem, but soon they're going to be telling it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere. And Mary is listening to what they experienced. And she's pondering all of this in her heart in addition to what Gabriel had already told her and what she was already experiencing, carrying and delivering the Christ child. Oh, her heart is so full right now. But if they had just stayed in the fields and I come to Bethlehem to testify about what God did in the fields, then those who were there wouldn't hear about the magnitude of God's work in that moment. So Mary is encouraged 
the people there are encouraged by what they hear these men say. And then these men get to hear Mary probably share her story. And they leave praising God. Now, now, they left Bethlehem better than how they went there. Now, they went there juiced up and encouraged. Man, they just saw angels and stuff. But they got to see the Son of God in human flesh. And they leave there rejoicing. They left better than how they got there. But imagine if they didn't go. But imagine, imagine if they said, man, we heard enough out here on the fields, man. Man, that's cool. That's great. They would have missed out on a blessing. Their experience would not have been complete. It would not have been full. Let me bring it 21st century. The impact of COVID has decimated the local church. In a book I'm reading called The Post-COVID Church, it cites statistics showing us how the church was already in decline before COVID. And people stopped coming to church. People stopped, quote unquote, trusting in organized religion and people started pulling away from church and from the things of God. And then when COVID hit, it was like a perfect storm for people who already were discontented with the church to not come, to check out on the church, to put down the church, which is God's bride, Jesus's bride. Pulling out, pulling back, talking about it. And so there was a decline in attendance and churches like ours had to figure out what to do during this time. And so we enhanced our online presence. We started live streaming because we could not come into the house for health and safety reasons. Some churches never closed. Some churches opened up early. But for us, man, we took months away. And God blessed our church where we grew during a pandemic. Some churches died during this pandemic, but God had his hand on us and many other local assemblies, and we thank him for that, but COVID impacted, and we took steps, incremental steps. We listened to our doctors. We watched the reports. We, we did our best to be as safe as possible, and we opened back up the church doors, and when we did, it wasn't as many people coming back as there were people who left. And again, this is for most churches across the country, so it's nothing that's unique to Strong Tower, but I think it says something about those who profess to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And many people decided to keep watching online, even though they were healthy enough to leave the home or the fields and come to Bethlehem, the house of bread, to come to the local church. They chose not to come. And I get it because for some of us, we have legitimate reasons for not coming. And I'm primarily talking to people who ain't here right now. I'm talking to you. Where's the television camera? Where's the... I'm talking to you. There are health reasons. You have compromised people at home. We, we, we get that. Your health is compromised. But I'm talking to the people who are healthy enough to come back to church, who just won't come back to church. They've gotten so comfortable with this temporary mechanism called live streaming. 
that was produced during a pandemic to keep God's people in the loop, they've gotten so comfortable with that that they don't want to come back to fellowship. They've gotten spiritually lazy. They've got all kinds of excuses, and they'll even say, it doesn't take all of that. I can worship at home. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. But we have some admonitions from Scripture that will encourage us that we need to be in community and fellowship with one another. So turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. And before I read that, I want to thank all of the people in our church who pushed through, who pressed through, and who came back to church. I thank you. And in a, in a sense, it was a smaller church, but a more potent church. Because it showed, again, that you're not a fair-weather follower of Jesus. And not only did you come back, your finances came back, your gifts, your serving. So, so we were a smaller number And we continue to do the work of the Lord because it's not about how many people are in a church, even though that can be one indicator of what's going on in the culture. It's about how many people in the church are active doing kingdom work. So I'd rather roll with 300 who's excited about the kingdom of God than having 3,000 who just say, I'm here, pastor, and, and that should be good enough for you. No, 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 no. I thank God for the people who not only came back but they showed up and showed out in the kingdom. And I want to thank those of you who not only came back, but for those of you who drive over 45 minutes or more to come to church. When you could easily say, I'm just going to stay home today, uh, uh, save my little gas money, you know. But thank you. Because coming to church post-COVID, for some of us, is a sacrifice of praise. It is to get there, man, you know, but with my health, to get there with my finance, my okay, but I'm coming to church. Hebrews chapter 10. What did them brothers say? Let us go to Bethlehem right now. Verse 24 of Hebrews 10. And let us, I'm not making it up, it's right there in the book. And let us, Consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. He's coming back. The day, capital D, the day of the Lord. Uh, He came the first time. He's coming again. Uh, This season of Advent reminds us that he came but it also lets us know that he's coming. And since he's coming, we want to prepare each other and encourage each other and spur one another on towards love and good deeds because we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're citizens of America, but above all, our citizenship is in heaven. We've been born from above. We're praying for God's kingdom to come and not some kind of Christian nationalism of this country to come. We're different kinds of people here. And we need to be together in the holy huddle to encourage each other because we all get discouraged sometimes. So when I show up on the Lord's Day, which reminds me that he got up on a Sunday, that's why we worship primarily on a Sunday. So I'm coming because he got up and I'm with other people who know he got up and they're living by the grace of God and the power of him getting up through them. We come together and worship together. 
We're stirring each other up in love and good works. We're not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. This was written in the first century. So in the first century, you had some folk who didn't want to come to church. So this ain't nothing new. But I got to talk about it. Because I don't want us to think that grace is grease so that we can slide on by and be sloppy Christians. No, grace ought to motivate you to live for God. Talking about I can't come to church, but I see you at Walmart. Talking about I can't come to church, I'm afraid of the journey. But you're at the movie theaters talking about Wakanda forever. Your priorities are jacked up. And if I'm a pastor, I got to love you well and say, you slipping. Come on back to church. We got people in other states who are looking for a church like Strong Tower. For whatever reason, right now, haven't found it. And they ask us, can we become cyber members? And we say, absolutely. And when I talk to these people, if they lived here, they would be in this church, working in this church, serving in this church. They're just in another state. But I got people who live in this state who won't even come to church here and call it their church. But people away from this church, man, if we live there, we'd be there. I got people coming in next week from Virginia who just couldn't wait to come and worship with us. But people who live here, and it's just not unique to us. I believe it's across the country. We got to get out of this slothfulness. Online church was never meant to replace in-person church. Online church was never meant to replace in-person church. You see, I need to see you and you need to see me. We encourage each other. You can't fellowship online. You can like something. Oh, girl, I see. Mm -hmm. That ain't fellowship. We got to talk and hug and pray and touch and agree and worship together. I remember when we opened the church back up and people came out sheepishly, understand that. We understand, we understand. And nine times out of ten, the testimony was, man, worshiping online was good. Y'all hooked all that stuff up, that was good. But they ain't nothing like being back in the building. Nothing like being back in the building. So I just want to encourage you, man, that in-person church is the optimum way to fellowship with God and his people. It's not the only way. But, man, there's a brother right now, I'm sure, in prison watching, saying, I'm glad I can see it online, but when I get out, I want to come to that church. I remember once being in the hospital on a Sunday during COVID, watching the service, and it was good. But I sure missed being with the people of God. There's nothing like it. First John chapter 1 verse 3 says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We need fellowship. And the shepherds made a conscious decision to get up from the fields where they had just had a wonderful experience with angels. But they said, we got to get up and go to Bethlehem, where they had a more abundant experience 
with Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. There was a blessing for the shepherds to receive in Bethlehem. They came and they received. But there was also a blessing for the shepherds to give in Bethlehem. So when we come in fellowship together, there's something for us to receive. There's also something for us to give. I have three final admonishments. Number one, to those who are watching at home, I just want to say, come back. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to STBC. <laughs> come back. Give church a try again. We know how it is. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is shown enough weak. Decide to prioritize your priorities again and forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Get out of that group as the manner of some is. Get out of that group and get back to church. If you are able to come from a physical, mental health standpoint, come back. Not only come back, come join. Come join. Yeah. Because some people just come, but they don't join. It's not enough to be here. It's time to commit here. Become planted in the house of the Lord. Psalm 92 talks about those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. But it's hard to get planted in the house of the Lord if you keep playing the church hop with various churches around the community. You hop over here, you hop over there, you hop in, you put your right foot in, you pull your left foot. Man, you, you ain't committing nowhere. And every church you hop to got issues, including this one. This ain't heaven. We're trying to be a picture of heaven until we get to heaven. But it's jacked up in some places. It's imperfect. And if you find the perfect church, you know what's going to happen when you join it. It's going to be messed up once you join it. But is it healthy? Is this church healthy? You may not agree with every jot and tittle of what we teach, but do you believe in the basic essentials that we teach here? Stop interviewing and commit to a local church. And if it's not this one, we'll help you find another one. And then come grow. Come back. Come join. Come grow. And we grow best through fellowshipping with one another, serving with one another, giving with one another, participating with one another. Why? Because we are better together. The shepherds, they set an example for us, man. They said, we got to go to Bethlehem. And I pray that the Spirit of the Lord would lead on you to say, it's time for me to go back, come back to church. It's time for me to join a church where I've got people watching for my soul, where I'm held accountable, where I'm using my gifts, where I can be counted on as part of this family until the Lord calls me away. You don't have to bring your tombstone when you come. I didn't bring mine. But I'm going to be here as long as God says be here. So if you're going to be here, be here. Make it official. You heard the story about the guy who accepted an award uh, at the Dove Awards. He was a singer. He got the award and said, man, I want to thank God for giving me the ability to play and sing this music. I want to thank my wife, my kids. I also want to thank my pastor. Can my pastor stand up? 
and five people stood up in the audience because each one of them thought that that guy went to their church. Come on now, let's do it. There's a blessing that happens in the church. He'll bless you from Zion all the days of your life. Yeah, he can bless you at home. But I'd rather be somewhere where the fire, I can see the fireplace. I can feel the fire because that's fire online. But the fire, I want to smell the smoke. I want to feel it. I want to huddle. There's fire in this place. Come on back. Would you stand with me for prayer? I don't have anyone on the organ playing just as I am. I'm not going to guilt trip you and say, come on out right now. Meet me up front. I'm just going to leave these cards on stage. Just fill it out. Join us next week. Right hand of fellowship. It's always a good time. Father, we bless you and we thank you that you allow us to be in community first with you, and then with your son, and then with one another. Thank you for the body of Christ. None of us can say around here, we don't need the eye or the foot or the hand. No, we need each other and other folks need us. This is the way you designed it. But Lord, in this age we live in, there's less commitment. There's less people stepping in and stepping up, making things official. We'd rather be at home when we could be at church and we make all kinds of excuses. Lord, I pray that a spirit of repentance would move upon those who are watching who know not only should they come back to church, but they should come back more than once a month. They should come on a regular basis, Lord, into the house of the Lord to be blessed as well as to give a blessing. Lord, I pray for those who may uh, be straining at a gnat while swallowing a camel while listening to this sermon, wanting to part somewhere to maybe try to paint a picture of legalism. Lord, that's not my heart. I just take seriously what you say about the church coming together. And again, thank you for these men during, and maybe women who were in that group of shepherds who got up and came to Bethlehem. May we get up and do something with what we say we believe. We thank you. Grow this church, Lord. Not solely numerically, but grow us in how we experience, explain, and expand your diverse kingdom. Grow us in making disciples who make a difference. Grow the children's ministry. Grow the student ministry. Grow the young adults and the singles ministry, the men's ministry, the women's ministry, the outreach ministry, the worship ministry. Lord, grow us so that folk can see you in us and through us. Ah, that's what it's all about. So Lord, this is our prayer. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And it's according to the power that's working, that's being stirred up in us to you be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forevermore. And we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen, 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 amen. amen. Give God some glory, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah.